Well, uh, please join me in prayer. Our gracious God, you are good and you are kind. You have shown us love that we do not deserve, that we don't truly understand. For if we did, we would live very different lives. And so we come this morning asking to know you better and to understand it better and to be transformed by it. Father, we ask that you would be with us uh, as we study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so Ziggy, well that might not be his real name, but uh, Ziggy was a part uh, of the original group, uh, the original core of families for a church plant uh, that I was helping with. Actually, he was one of the driving forces, uh, one of the, the core core families. Um, and he was in many ways uh, leading the charge. He wanted to see a Reformed church planted in his area. Uh, he had been raised in a Reformed home. He knew uh, the scriptures well. He knew his catechism well. Uh, coming to his home for a meal was, was fun uh, at every meal, whether that was lunch or dinner or whatever. A well-worn family Bible was pulled out. It was read. There was prayer. Um, his kids were kind. They were respectful. His wife was hospitable. Uh, whenever we did Bible studies, uh, he was always quick with an insightful answer. At worship, he played the piano. Uh, when discussion came up among the core families of that church or that group, um, his name was always at the top of the list as a potential elder uh, to serve when they would become organized. And then one day, uh, the call came. Uh, his wife couldn't hold it in any longer. Ziggy was a binge drinker. And he would go into deep weekends, sometimes weeks on end, of uh, a drunken stupor. And when he did, he let his wife know that he resented being married. He felt trapped. He would critique everything she did. He would punish her with silence, sometimes for weeks at a time. He punished her with rebukes. He used God's word to shame her and to make her feel like she was ruining his life. And he would have these, what the family would call, dark episodes, seasons, where they would just quietly suffer and wait until the one day when he would emerge from them give some sort of tacit uh, apology, but usually just take the family out for a fun time to let them know that dad was back and everything was okay and life would return to normal until next time. When it did come out, when he finally was exposed, he assured everyone how sorry he was uh, he let us know that he knew what needed to be done and that he was getting the help he needed and that no one needed to worry. He had a plan. He had things under control, which meant that no one could speak into his life. He knew a lot. He knew more than most of us, and he was proud and he was graceless. Those wonderful truths that he, he knew so well from his earliest of days, from his youngest of days, never ever seemed to penetrate his heart. 
Ziggy was not the only one I have known like this. I've known many like him. It seems like the headlines are full today of knowledgeable leaders, uh, attractive leaders, great teachers who, who lead a secret life. They, they rise to stardom uh, only to crash and to burn. And if you've listened to the rise and fall of Mars Hill, uh, you've heard testimonies of what it was like to be on the inside of Mark Driscoll's inner circles and how painful that was. The Pharisees, right? We've, we've just been through the, the Gospel of Luke. The Pharisees were, were known for two things. Their knowledge of the Scriptures and their deep hypocrisy. Uh, Fergus. Well, that might not be his real name. Uh, Fergus was a zealous um, individual, eager to see... Uh, our church make a deep impact on the world. And so, street evangelism, um, tough love on young men, you know, come on, grab them by their collar, let them know that they need to step up. He wanted desperately to be a part of a church that was not soft on the truth. Uh, zeal, <laughs> he had it in spades. And, and so people marveled at his commitment, uh, his boldness, his evangelistic heart. Uh, he was winsome. He had charisma. People wanted to be around him. People wanted to be like him. Uh, but he traveled for his job, and he would spend weekends uh, away and getting blackout drunk in his hotel room. Uh, he would, on a whim, buy a big screen TV and tell his wife, we don't have money for clothes for the kids. Uh, one day his wife found out he put a personal ad on Craigslist looking to meet women. The, the public persona and the private reality were radically, radically different. And, and the distance was so great. And Fergus was not the only one. I've known others like him. Hopefully we all get that, that something is very, very wrong in these situations. Uh, that, that, that this disconnect between that, that public persona, that, that deeply devout life, and, and the reality, it's not healthy and it's not okay. And hopefully we get that, that good doctrine, good theology, should lead to right living. But if we're honest, that can be difficult. And for some, the gap is more obvious. I have another story. We'll call him Brett. It might be his real name. He's a pastor. Um, But he struggles to live his life in accordance with what he knows to be true. Uh, He knows that Jesus uh, has loved him, and yet he can be graceless towards others. He knows that God is in control of all things, and yet he is enslaved by his fears. He fears what others think of him. He fears what is going on in the world. He fears uh, about his children and their future. And he he knows God's word is life-giving, and yet he struggles to spend as much time reading it and listening to it and following it like he should. There's a gap 
between what he says he believes and how he lives. Now maybe you can identify, I can't remember his name, but whatever we called him, maybe you can identify with him a little bit. Maybe you in your own life see some sort of dichotomy uh, between what you know is true and how it ought to be affecting your life. Uh, we are a church that is big on the sovereignty of God. We, we talk about it. Like This is like one of the defining features. This was what made many of us seek out a church like this. And yet, how quick are, are we, on one hand, to confess that all things must happen according to his plan. We assure people that, that not one atom in our universe is outside of God's control, but when an election goes sideways... When what's acceptable in society changes, when hard times seem to be coming, what do we do? We run in fear. And, and, and that fear leads us to draw lines around political convictions rather than biblical doctrine. And we affirm, on one hand, that the, the doctrine of God's sovereignty, but we struggle to find any comfort in it when life actually gets uncomfortable. So, um, last year, a friend... Uh, who's uh, he's a pastor friend, and actually I think he's going to be in worship with us today. He's on vacation, uh, and uh, he gave me a book by uh, Paul David Tripp called "Do You Believe?" And uh, the point of the book is to say, uh, how should what the Bible teaches, what we believe about God, affect how we live, or affect our everyday life? What difference do all these doctrines make in the way we live? Um, that's a great question. Um, and so, you know, this year, Isaac's leading Sunday school. He's doing it on covenant theology. He's doing a great job, but he can't be here every week. He's um, preaching at other churches sometimes. Like today, he's down in Corvallis. Masha is just dead set on having another baby, and so he'll probably have to take some time off for that. Uh, so when he's not here, I thought um, I'd do a, some Sunday school lessons kind of based upon this book. I'm not going to follow it exactly. That's... Um, but more or less kind of follow his, his lead in looking at these doctrines and, and how they should make a, a, a difference in our day-to-day life. And he has 12 doctrines that he looks at in his book. Uh, scripture, God, God's holiness, the image of man, sin, justification, God's sovereignty, uh, his omnipotence, creation, sanctification, perseverance, and glorification, and eternity. And so, I don't know, for the next year or two, when I have opportunities to, to lead Sunday school, I thought maybe I'd sort of meander my way through these and uh, wrestle with them with you, if that's okay. But the goal uh, is not to go in-depth into these doctrines. Uh, we've done that before. We'll do it again. This is more about how they should affect our, our, our day-to-day life. That's really the goal uh, of this. And so, really, um, my goal uh, in this series, and, and, and really today, is uh, to just kind of set the table for that. We're not going to jump into anything this week, doctrine-wise. Next week, we'll look at start looking at the doctrine of Scripture. Um, but the, what I really just want to wrestle with today with you is this. Doctrine is not an end in itself, but should change the way you live. Doctrine is not an end in itself. It should change the way you live. That's uh, the goal uh, in uh, the little time we have together this morning. So in a half hour or so that remains, I just want to start by talking about doctrine and what it's supposed to do. 
Its doctrine is supposed to change you. Now that assumes what we mean, that we know what we mean when we say doctrine. So, what is doctrine? Teaching. Teaching. Good. Okay, it's teaching. Generally speaking, that's that's the definition. Good. Okay, teaching about um, what? Like in our context. Now it can be a lot of different things, right? Uh, presidents are sometimes known by their doctrine or whatever, like their their main push, right? Um, but in our context, what kind of teaching are we talking about? Okay, reform teaching. What do we hopefully mean when we say reform teaching? Biblical, right? Yes, absolutely. Uh, We're talking about uh, biblical teaching, what the Bible has to say. What else might we call this? Theology. Yeah, theology. Everybody's looking like, sounds too easy. Yes, theology, right? What is theology? Study of God. Good. Uh, Yeah, theos in Greek is God. Ology is like study of. So biology, all those things are are, uh, the study of something. Um, But when we say that, we don't just mean that we're studying what or who God is, right? In In isolation from everything else. If we're going to talk about God, we have to talk about not just who he is, but what he has done. That means we're going to have to talk about his creation, right? And, and uh, how his creation relates to him. Um, theology is about all of that. So theology uh, means understanding God and his creation and, and how the two are meant to relate to each other. Now, is theology a good thing or a bad thing? It's a great thing. Does everybody agree? No. No. Right? You sometimes, uh, you know, remember people saying things like, I'm not into theology. Like Christians saying this. I get when non-Christians say that. But you you stop and you think, you're not into knowing God? Like, I don't get it. Right? Now, theology can be used poorly, But in and of itself, knowing God is a great thing. It is a wonderful thing. Like, what what could be greater in this world than to know our maker? (laughs) You know, yes. Um, It is good, and it's necessary. And and if you are a human, don't want to make any assumptions here... uh, If you're human, you are inquisitive. This is just how God made you. Um, As as humans, we want to know how things work and how they relate and and what they're supposed to be. We, We long for meaning. We long for consistency and balance. Um... Without good theology, what what are the dangers of not having good theology? A bad lifestyle. Definitely a bad lifestyle. Good. A twisting of scriptures. Sorry? A twisting of scriptures. Absolutely. Uh, a misuse of scripture, twisting them, right? Absolutely. Yeah, that's the most we say blasphemy. Okay. Blasphemy, right? Assaulting God and his character and his name. A wrong view of the world around us. A wrong view of the world around us, right? 
What, what's another word for that? Like you believe a... Yeah, yeah, a worldview, absolutely. Right? If you don't believe the truth, right, what do you believe? A lie. A lie, right? Absolutely. Um, right? Without good theology, we become susceptible to lies. There he is. Everybody say hi to Westcott. Westcott gave me that book. Hi, Westcott. Westcott's one of the pastors at Little Rock Community Community Fellowship uh, south of Tumwater. He gave me this book, so blame him. Uh, They had me to preach a few weeks ago, and uh, so, anyways, welcome. It's good to have you here. Um, Yeah. uh, but without good theology, we do, we are. We're susceptible to lies. We're susceptible to false religions. Um, God's made you to long to know him. And he's made it so, so that you resonate with truth and, and you long for things that make sense. This is uh, just who you were created to be. When, when people present to us conflicting realities, there's something in us that just, the gears grind. We do this with TV. Wait a second, how is that possible? Yeah, you know, um, it, we want consistency. But, but it's supposed to lead somewhere. So theology is truth, but it's not trivia. Uh, what's trivia? Knowledge of trivial things. <laughs> Knowledge of trivial things, good. Uh, and trivial things are? Meaningless, they're shallow things. Yeah, they're true things, but they're not important. Unfortunately, I love trivia. Um, and Jen puts up with me. Um, truth about God is not useless. It's intensely useful. Uh, and, and, it, and it's meant to transform you. Right? You can know what the top song of March of 1981 was, but it really doesn't affect life. That's useless information. That's trivia. Who God is and what his creation is meant to be and how the two relate is incredibly useful. And it should transform you. Satan would be absolutely content. I'm not arguing that you should do this. We're not trying to make this, the devil content. But, but he would be content if you were the world's leading expert in what the Bible has to say so long as it didn't affect how you live. As long as you live for yourself and not for Jesus, you don't even have to live for him. As long as you live for yourself and not for Jesus, the devil is content. You could be an expert. You could have the entire Bible memorized. Quote any line. Talk about how things work together. And if it doesn't affect you and call you to love Jesus and live for him, Satan's content. Um... James 2.19 says this, uh, You believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder, right? Uh, in a sense, the demons and the devil uh, have very good theology. 
Let me put it this way. They know the Bible better than you. They can point out your errors. Yeah, but they've had thousands of years. This is true. (laughs) They have had thousands of years. That is true. They are filled with facts. They know the truth. Charlie. There's an element in there, too, where they, they kind of respond appropriately to it as well, even though they are opposed to the Lord. They shudder at the true knowledge of the Holy God. Do we shudder? Yes. Right. Right. Um, they are smarter in that they know the consequences. God, really. They shudder. I should look at that passage today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're going to do that. We're going to look at that briefly in Luke, right? Thank you. Thanks for the setup. Set. I'll go for the spike later. Um, yeah, absolutely. They do. And, and uh, they intensely oppose it, but they do recognize it. Absolutely. Um, the truth brings them no comfort because they do not embrace it. A chapter earlier, James says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like what? Oh, come on, you know this verse. Yes, like a man who looks at himself in the mirror and walks away and forgets what he looks like, right? Let's, let's unpack that a little bit. Uh, do you ever look in the mirror before, you, before heading out, before leaving your home? No, no, I gotta know. Anybody, yes? All the men are looking at their shoes. I don't want to admit it, Pastor. Leave me alone. Okay. Uh, why? <laughs> Nobody actually said yes, but I'm gonna assume you're all just hiding. Why? Why do other people look in the mirror before they leave their home? See what they look like. See what they look like. Get their heart started. Get their heart started. I don't even want to know what you mean by that, Budgie. Um, it's a scare. Oh, it's a scare. Not like, woo, he's handsome. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Uh, why? <laughs> Make sure they don't look like they did when they first got out. Okay. They're checking themselves, right, before they head out to identify if anything is uh, uh, not in good order, right? Yeah, that's a very Presbyterian way to say why I check in the mirror, right? Good. So what happens if you find this big smudge on your forehead? You look at yourself and say, good to know, and you head on out, right? Is that the point? I now have this knowledge that there's this big smudge on my forehead, right? Let's go. So what happens? You go out, and and, uh, you get to where you're going. Your friend looks at you and says... "Um, there's a big smudge on your black smudge on your forehead and you look at your friend you're like um I know I looked in the mirror before I left and just for your information it's more of a deep purple almost plum colored I might call it like a smoked plum and uh, and rather than large I might call it moderate to big um, that would be a better description Ugly. well you've got the facts down right uh, you showed your friend, right? Success or failure? 
<laughs> Let's just talk about in life. <laughs> you know, Laurelin had this habit. Y'all don't know about it. But every time we got in the car, where we were going someplace, she flips down the mirror and looks to make sure there's no booger or something. Yes. And, yeah, and Lauren always showed up ready, right? Absolutely. Um, but, but I think we would say that this person uh, failed, right? Because that's not the point of looking in the mirror. So that you can outdo your friends in a fact contest, right? It's so that you can deal with the smudge before you embarrass yourself, right? You might have had better facts. You might have been able to correct and shame your friend for, for uh, misrepresenting, right, in accurate detail the color and size of your smudge. But that's not why you look in the mirror to win a debate, right? Now, while that might seem obvious to us, This is what God says it's like when you know his word but not have it affect your life. Ziggy, Fergus, that's their problem, right? Uh, They want to know God's word, but they kept it at a safe distance. They, They didn't want to let it in. And that's not what God's word is for. That's not what it's for. So it's one thing to say that your doctrine uh, affecting your life is good, but we don't want to just say it's good. We want to say it's necessary. So let me ask you a question. Can you be a Christian and not live a changed life? Well, let's close in prayer. Uh, <laughs> sorry, somebody else said something? Call yourself Yeah. Right. Now, depending on, on, on what different individuals mean by their answers, you might say there's, there's truth in all of these answers, right? Um, the simple answer is you cannot be a Christian and not have some change. You can be a Christian and not have as much change as somebody else. Um, But there has to be some change. Otherwise, that proves that you are what? Not saved, saved, right? Um, And the chief evidence, the, uh, uh, the chief, what's the chief mark of a Christian? Christ-likeness, but he actually gives us a little bit more in what way? Love. Love. Right? The chief um, mark of a true Christian is love for others. Uh, Luke, let me, let me kind of back up a little bit and we'll, and we'll get there, but let's start with Luke 6, uh, 43 to 45. It says this. Uh, you can turn there if you want. Six, uh, Luke 6, 43 through 45.
Okay, it says this. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good, and the evil person, out of the evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Um, The Bible says this in different ways, in many different points, but the point is always the same. If you are a Christian, there is going to be some change in your life. There is going to be some fruit shown. Right? Um, Will it ever be perfect in this life? No. No. You know, the Bible is constantly saying, you know, things like, I haven't attained what I want, but I'm pressing on towards it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to grow. I, I, I'm frustrated with the remaining sin, right? There's, there's, that's not a problem uh, to admit. Um, but, but the goal is always to be improving and growing, And, and, to, and to do that, you need to understand more and more how what is true about God and his creation affects your life and how it helps you live in this world. If you're going to grow as a Christian, if you're going to grow in obedience, if you're going to improve, you need to know God better. You need to know his truth better and not in the way the demons do <laughs> You have to know it in such a way that it penetrates your heart and your life and affects you. But there's something else that Jesus said that I think is key. And we, we, I asked, what's the chief mark of a Christian? And, and Gary said, love. Um, is it perfect? Is, is it, why isn't it perfect theology? Why isn't perfect theology the mark of a true Christian? I think that love encompasses all the other virtues that we would like to single out, right? Because that love chiefly is to be towards the Son of God. Um, I mean, that's the greatest commandment, mm-hmm. like it. Um, so in our loving each other, um, we are imitating Christ, like Peter says in chapter 3, Right, that we don't repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but we bless. For this we were called, that you may obtain a blessing. We're imitating Christ in that way. So in love, first to the Son and then towards others, um, we actually end up exhibiting all the other virtues. By loving Christ, we love his truth, we love his word, we love deeply. You're right. Right. Um... I think you're right that that everything that the Lord calls us to is is encompassed in love, right? Think about the greatest commandment. What's the greatest commandment? Right. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your mind, all your heart and soul, and all your strength. Right. Okay. The mind is in there. Knowledge is in there, right? Um, strength, obedience is in there. Uh, your uh, heart, your purity, and, and holiness are all in there. But they're all started with what? Love. 
Because without love, what is knowledge? Like the clanging symbol. Yes. A clanging symbol, a clashing gong, right? First Corinthians 13. Like with, without love, knowledge becomes a weapon. And so, yeah. So love has to, 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 to guide that and, and, and give it context. Otherwise, we will misuse it, right? Um, you know, every, every parent sees this when they, you know, give their uh, child, young child a gift. You know, it's like, uh, oh, look, I, g- I gave Johnny this, um, you know, toy phone. And he uses it at a club on his brother. You know, it's like, that's not what it's for, right? Uh, a gift can be misused without love, right? Um, uh, when we use God's truth to club each other, we're misusing uh, his gifts, this is, this is why the chief um, uh, mark of a Christian is not the ability to run circles around your friends on the finer points of doctrine. Um, in John thirteen thirty five, Jesus says this, By this will all people know that you are my disciples. This will be the mark. This is it. Right? There's lots of things I want you to do. There's lots of things I want to be true about you. But by, by this one thing, people will know you are mine. And what is it? That you love each other, which is the second great commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. The two great commandments are love, right? And, and Jesus says, look, now, and is he saying, I don't care if you love me as long as you love each other. Is that what he's saying? Why not? Right. To truly love each other shows that we love God. It's the fruit of loving God. And if we don't love each other, guess what that also proves? That we don't love God. Right? So, so Ziggy and Fergus, they can claim to love God, but how do they treat others? Terribly. Well, now we know that they don't love God. That that, that knowledge is empty. That they're, they're clashing symbols. They're clanging gongs. Because if they really did love the Lord, whose truth they know, it would show itself in how they treat other people. Um... The mark of a true Christian is the effect God's truth on how he or she treats others. And I think we need to to let that sink in. What Jesus is saying is, if you really understand who I am, and if you really embrace me in faith, it will be evident in how you love others. That love can't be achieved without God's truth. I'm not, I'm not saying we're about love, we don't care about theology. That's a, that's a problem too. That's a different kind of problem. If you're about love but not God's truth, we start to wonder what you love, right? But it's... It's God's truth that frees you to live in this way. And, and so, so as we, we work our way um, through this series, uh, when I have opportunity to teach Sunday school, that's going to be our focus. How does this show itself? 
how to live in light of God's truth, um, how His truth should ch- change us and shape us, free us, and guide us, and comfort us. And so, uh, Pastor Isaac is, two weeks in a row, he's, he's uh, filling the pulpit at other churches that were in need. This week, he's down in Corvallis. Uh, next week, up, he'll be up in Bothell, Washington. And so, uh, I'll be teaching again next week. And I'm going to start uh, with... Uh, God's Word, Scripture. And probably, probably my plan is to do about two lessons on God's Word. One on how it renews our mind, and one how it guides our steps. Uh, so next, next week, the plan will be to, to talk about um, how we need God's Word um, to renew our minds. And that's, that's going to be the plan. Um, and so hopefully you'll be back uh, next week. Um, but we do have just a couple minutes if there's any questions or comments. And if there's not, I'll pray and you'll have extra time uh, to fellowship. Like, like normal, I'm done early. <laughs> yes, it's called... Oh, goodness, hold on a second. West, do you believe? Do you believe? Thank you. By Paul Tripp. Uh, yes. Do you believe by Paul Tripp? Um, so then you can grab it, read ahead, and then tell me when I mess up. Um, yeah. But it's just a fun, uh, hopeful, uh, pastoral study on, okay, once we get these things down, what then? It's a good question, I think. Michelle. I, I will say the first time I walked into a Protestant church as an unbeliever, those people loved each other. Mm. And it was evident and it was powerful. <laughs> By this, Michelle knew they were Jesus' disciples. That's powerful. Michelle didn't grow up in, in, in uh, a Christian home. and that in, uh, um, I, I, Roman Catholic, you guys went to church? Christers? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, you guys know what Christers are, right? They go at Christmas and Easter. Um <laughs> But it wasn't until later, as an adult, where, where she experienced these things for the first time. And, and so she has that experience to be able to see this with fresh eyes. That's powerful. And that in and of itself was a powerful testimony and inducement. Because you, you resonated. Yeah. That's who you were created to be. Um, it's funny. Uh, I don't know if funny is the right word. But... Even the most ardent atheist and naturalist esteems love. But it doesn't make sense. If, you're, if you are an ardent evolutionist, um, love makes you do dumb things that put your life in danger. And like from the earliest of days, you know, a boy sees a girl, he walks along, you know, a, a, a wall top just to impress her, and he's putting his life in danger. That's not helping the, the species survive. Um, uh, but even the most ardent naturalist, the most ardent atheist, uh, recognizes love as a good thing, self-sacrifice as a beautiful thing. We're made to. We just can't not. Um, it resonates. Yeah, good. Anything else? Any other comments or questions? First John 3, verses, verse 12. By this we know love. Because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. 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 That's really good. We're, we're seeing these themes as well in, in uh, the upper room discourse in the men's study on Wednesday mornings. These, you know, as I have loved you, so you ought to love one another. Yeah. Good. Okay. Well, let me close in prayer. Our gracious God, we thank you. We thank you that you loved us first. And now we ask that you would help us to love each other. Help us to love as we have been loved. Help these truths that we adore and hold precious transform us. May we never keep them at a safe distance, for there's nothing safe about it. Mess with our lives. Humble us. Change us, we pray. Through Christ our Savior. Amen.